opportunity. Somebody Isaiah 45:22, and read it whenever you find it, and then somebody else um, Matthew 6:33. That's great. You can stop right there. Perfect. Look unto me and be saved. Look unto me and be saved. God is calling always. What is? What did we learn this week? God is what? Love, right? God is love. And if he's love, his call goes out to us regardless of time, regardless of space. Now, the only thing that may change that is whether our hearts start to get hard. The more we say no, the easier it is to say no, and the harder it is to hear him. But he's still calling. Uh, Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Thank you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. God's call has gone out. The question is, are we going to seek him? Um, we may confuse the, the point of, of God not calling again because of our hardened hearts. But it's not God's problem. That's, that's an us problem. If you have a desire in your heart that God call you again, that's his call. We, we try to make it something big and theatrical like the sky is supposed to open and uh, lightning supposed to come down. But if you feel in your heart conviction for your sin, if you feel in your heart that something's missing, that you need to, to talk to someone, that you need to reconcile yourself with God, that's his call. And that's what he's, um, that's what he's offered to you to, to have a relationship with him. Um, do you guys remember, back in Sunday school, Remember the story about Samuel and Eli? What happened? Samuel in the middle of the night has something happen to him. What, what happens? God Go ahead. Okay, God calls his name. And he goes and his, his advisor was the priest and it was Eli. And he goes in and, and what does Eli tell him? It wasn't me. Go back to bed. And it happens a couple more times. And finally Eli realizes, well, this has got to be something more. The kid's not just having bad dreams. What does he tell him then? Speak, Lord, your servant here. That's the heart set and the mindset that we have to have at all times with the Father. Now, one of the other questions that came up was how to get rid of sinful habits. Bob referenced that a little bit earlier. Although three of you may have been joking around when you put it down, I guarantee somebody else had that question. How do we get rid of sinful habits? Well, the fact is, if you try to do it yourself, you'll only be successful for so long, right? If uh, your mom and dad tell you to stop using bad language, you may not use it around them. You may be successful in that. But it's going to happen again. And the only way that we can be victorious and the only way that we can, be vic- can live a victorious life is by allowing the Spirit to do it through us. So in, when we talk about answering the call, we're actually talking about allowing the Spirit to come into our lives, come into our hearts in a full measure, not holding anything back and letting Him take control and give us the victory for those things. Now, at the same time, um, to get rid of some of those habits, you need to make a break. Um, let's say some of the habits are watching movies that you shouldn't be watching. Or watching a TV show that you shouldn't be watching. Well, you may need, and I won't even say may, you need to make a break. You need to remove the option that you can watch that thing. Tell your parents. Confess the fact that you're having a problem with that. And guaranteed, they're more than willing to help you avoid a sinful habit. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a given. And allow some of those steps and, 
and safeguards to be put into place. And by showing that your willingness to do that, the Lord will reward those efforts and reward your, your diligence in that and give you the measure of his direction and his spirit to, to live a victorious life. Um, somebody, the last one, Acts 8.37. Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Thank you. If thou believest with all thine heart. If we talk about one thing at camp, and we talk about it every year, it's total surrender and total commitment to the Lord. If it's all our heart, then there's no room for failure. Because if, it, if all of our heart is submitted to Him, then all of our heart is filled with His Spirit and can be working after His will and direction in our lives. Next question. Well, this guy seems to be in a bad spot. I'm not exactly sure how he got there, but it was kind of a cool graphic. Um, can you guys look up the verses? John 1, 12, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Romans 8, 14. Disorder. And then first, uh, let's go back those that received him, to those that gained him, he gave power to become the sons of God. Some versions use the word the right to become the sons of God, but with either word, there's this, there's this idea that there is some strength behind it. Um, what about 2 Corinthians 5.17? I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm, uh, we're going to just hit these verses first and then talk about being in a bad spot and struggling with sin. But if I'm a Christian, if I'm in Christ, I'm somebody that's new. I've been changed. How about Romans 8.14? I love this verse. It's underlined in my Bible. You should if, underline it in yours too if you think about what it means. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Um, that's, that's a powerful statement. That could be a camp theme sometime. First <laughs> John 2.13. Who's got... So what's the, the, the first group? What did they do? What did the first group do? Can you read it again? So we get this idea that we can overcome. Fair enough? Through these verses? And let's do First John 5, 4 through 5.
All right, awesome. Thank you. So the reason for these verses is to at least identify that we can overcome. Um, the question was, what if I'm in a bad spot and I can't get out? Um, there was another question that somebody wrote that said, um, I'm in bondage and I need help. Uh, the idea that, that I'm struggling with something that I need help with to get out and I don't know how. I can't stop doing what I don't want to do. Uh, it sounds like Romans chapter 7 where Apostle Paul is saying, the things that I want to do, I don't. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. <laughs> um, anybody deal with that ever? Right. Anybody deal with the fact that the things they don't want to do, they end up doing? <laughs> I, I deal with it too, sometimes. I think we all do. Um, I've dealt with things that, that I could not stop doing. When we talk about being in a bad place, I was in a bad place. And uh, so there's one serious problem with being in a bad place. Uh, and it has to do with fear. Um, any ideas on what you might be afraid of when you're in a bad place? Staying in that place? Awesome. You're afraid of where you're at. What else are you afraid of? Anybody afraid of people finding out? Getting caught, right? We're all afraid of somebody finding out that I'm in this. And that is Satan's power. That's the hold that Satan has over us, is that he makes us afraid. We're afraid of being in there, and yet we're afraid of people finding out. <laughs> and so, okay, I don't want to be here, but I don't want anybody to know. I don't want anybody to know, but I don't want to be here. <laughs> and I'm stuck. And he keeps bouncing us back and forth like a pinball. There's only one way to break this. So step one is to go to God. And Lord, I don't want to be in this. And we need to pray and go to God and confess to God that I don't want to be in this. Now, has anybody done that and has it worked? Okay. Has anybody done that and it's not worked? Maybe it's just me. Okay. But I've gone to God with struggles and nothing. It doesn't seem like my life had changed. I think it's because I find that maybe God doesn't hold me as accountable right away as people do. You know, I'm not as embarrassed to go to God time and time again as I would be to go to mom and dad or to go to a minister. Um, it'd be pretty humiliating that if you, you come to me and you say, I've got this problem, and then you come two days later and you say, I've still got this problem, and you come two days later and you say, I've still got this problem, right? Wouldn't it start to get a little old? He does understand better than other people do. He does understand. The, the statement was, I think it's easier to go to God because he understands. He doesn't judge maybe the way people do. Um, but he also, yeah. You don't have to be worried about him telling anybody. There's a fear in that. That's a really good point. To overcome that bad place, though, you got to tell somebody. you got to tell somebody. If you're going to, I found that more often than not, for me, this is just for me, 
maybe for Mike too, maybe I can speak for Mike, that if I just tell God, I still struggle with it. If I confess it to somebody, a minister, okay, now I'm the minister, so I don't confess it to myself, but, but I talk to somebody else about it, or in my case, I'm married, I talk to my wife about some of the things I'm struggling with, and she prays for me, and she asks me how I'm doing. So the steps, step one, go to God. Step two is go to a minister. Uh, go to, to your mom and dad. I know it's hard. I know, God, I know Satan is making you afraid that I don't want anybody to find out, but mom and dad aren't going to tell anybody. Um, your minister is not going to tell anybody. You got, maybe there's an older, wise m- member in your church that you, that you know loves you. Maybe it's grandma and grandpa or an uncle or somebody that you can go and talk to and tell them this is my problem. They're not going to judge you for it. They're going to want to love you and help you. Satan is telling you they're going to judge you. Satan is telling you you can't say anything. That's the power that Satan has when we're in bondage is that we can't tell anybody because they're going to judge us. And we've got to break that power of Satan by saying, no, I'm going to go tell somebody. And they can pray for me. They can ask me how I'm doing. Step three, get rid of the things, as Mike said, that are in the way. You know what? For some of you, it might need to be going to mom and dad and saying, mom, dad, you need to put um, childproof software on the computer because I'm struggling with the computer. Mom, dad, you need to take texting off my, com- off my phone because um, I can't help but text this girl or I can't help but text this guy or I'm getting all kinds of nasty texts on my phone. Um, and they're, they're changing the way I'm thinking. And so I need to go to a dumb phone without text. Right? You need to take the, 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 that first step, the initiative, to say, okay, this is bad for me, and I can't stop myself, so I need to remove the temptation. The Bible says cut off the things that, that offend you, right? Take out the eye if it offends you, for it's better to take out the eye than to end up burning, to go to hell. So if my phone is bothering me, and I need the phone because mom and dad want to get a hold of me, then get rid of the things that are a problem on the phone. Um, let's see what else. Find the right help. Um, you're going to find out about it tomorrow at the forum uh, for teens tomorrow. But there are helps. If you're struggling with certain things, uh, the church has, has helps that can help you get through it. And so sometimes um, your ministers and your church leadership can help you find the right way, the right help to get through something. Um, and then, okay, so I talked about getting, the, getting rid of the opportunity. Um, if cable's a problem... Mom, Dad, you got to shut off the cable. It'll save you money, too. Tell them that. <laughs> okay. I mean, we, we got to kind of get rid of those things. Um, get into the Word. Prayer. Those sound like the, in my Sunday school class. Okay, I'm about to give away a secret here. But when I would teach Sunday school, um, I'd tell them, look, there's, there's five key answers almost any question and just use your head and probably one of them will fit. God, Jesus, love, prayer, read the Bible. <laughs> okay, now, you're not, supposed, you're not allowed to use those on your Sunday school teachers, <laughs> but they are real. They're not just actually fake answers. Prayer helps if you're sincere about it. Reading the word helps if you're sincere about it, okay? Um, we're going to move on into the next question. This poor girl, she's looking really discouraged. Now, in her case, it was because Michigan State lost the football game. 
<laughs> but uh, <laughs> but we all have feelings of inadequacy. Um, and sometimes we're we're going to play this a, a, a brief portion of this of this testimony that this woman has. Um, just listen to her place that she's in. Okay.
I tend to get choked up sometimes and just thinking about the um, the stuff that this girl went through. Um, kind of gets hard. You know, Satan's lie is that that there are people that have it all together. And you might see them at school. Maybe it's you pretending. Um, but one thing that I've learned over time is that there aren't any super people. There aren't any super women. There aren't any super men. There aren't any super families. Nobody has it all. Um, some girls in my church were, were sharing with me last year how the student council president, um, who had it all together, had a rich family, came from a rich family, big house, nice car, student council president, valedictorian at the time, um, committed suicide one morning. How does somebody who has it all commit suicide? Satan's lie is that there are people who have it all together. The reality is nobody has it all together. The super mom is missing something. The super dad is missing something. The super family, uh, they're hiding something. Just like this poor girl wearing the mask, pretending that everything was okay. And as she couldn't deal with things, she started to try to find a way out. Whether it's alcohol or a relationship or drugs, you can just continue down that road. So how do we break the lie? We have to accept that we're inadequate. It's, Satan's lies are so funny. He's telling us we're, we're not good enough. And he's not lying. We're actually, guess what? We're not good enough. So he, 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 puts, he lies and tricks us by lying, and then he tricks us by telling the truth. And what's the lie in it? The lie is that we actually believe that we're not good enough but that we're supposed to be good enough. The lie is that we think that we're supposed to be good enough, but we can't. We can't be good enough. I struggle with inadequacy, ladies, gentlemen. I struggle with the fact that I'm not good enough. Mike, he struggles with the fact that he's not good enough, that he's inadequate. We all do. You're not alone in thinking that you're not good enough. What we have to embrace is that we're not good enough, and that's okay. Can we look up some of those verses? Um, who's got John 15? Loud, please. Thank you. 
You know, just really quickly. Okay, that's us. This is a big cliff. There's water at the bottom. God's on this side. And we're on this side. Here's God. What what God does... He builds the bridge. Okay? We're not good enough to build the bridge. We can't build that bridge by being good enough. God builds the bridge. He, he reconciles us to himself. Um, next verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. Loud, loud please. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go, go ahead, read it. This is the Apostle Paul. He was struggling with something. And God says to him, I want you the way you are because through you I'm made strong. If you had it all together and were perfect, you wouldn't need me. What about uh, Philippians 3, 5 through 7? So Apostle Paul says, I was the best of the best. But I recognized that in God's eyes it doesn't matter. And so how do we break that lie of Satan? We can tell him, you know what, I'm not good enough, but that's okay. Because God can change me. And I am God's and he loves me. We have to change (laughs) the way we understand adequate. We have to change the way we understand good enough because the way we see good enough and adequate is not the way God sees it. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. And the way God sees us is that you are not good enough and that's why I sent my son to die for you. None of you are good enough. I'm not good enough. That's why Jesus died on the cross because we're not good enough. Philippians 4.13. Go ahead, please. Over here. Now, the problem with saying I'm not good enough all the time is that some people just say, well, okay, I'm not good enough. 
I'm coming just as I am. I'm going to live just as I am. I'm going to keep doing what I do. And I'm just going to say, I know that God loves me. What's the problem with that one? Any problem with doing that? I'm just going to be who I am today. And God's going to love me and that's okay. Anybody see a problem? How we're, how we're living is might not be the right way to live, right? Who else? Somebody else have a hand up? That's a really good point. What's wrong with that one? right remember just the verses that we read when we were talking about being in bondage to sin god gives us the power god provides the ability to live a righteous life to hold to be a holy to live a holy life so god starts to change us when we want to serve him so if you want to be out of bondage you got to want to serve god he starts to change us if we want to to get rid of our feelings of inadequacy if we're living for god he changes us. He uses us. God says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness as long as you want to live for me and you're trying to live for me. That doesn't mean that, that I'm, I'm just the, the saved sinner here lying in bed doing whatever I want, playing video games all day. Or that, That's not what he's saying. He says, you need to live for me and where you fail, I will make up for it. Where you're not good enough, I will fill in the blank. Okay? Does that make sense to everybody? But like that, like that girl, I mean, maybe if we have time at the end, we find out the end of the story. Don't fall into that trap of feeling like you're not good enough. And then go down, spiral out of control. Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody, okay? Excellent. Um, adornment. Specific question was about piercings too. Uh, why are piercings bad? Other than the verse in Leviticus, somebody knows their verses in the Bible, or was somebody was talking to mom and dad, and mom and dad were quoting Leviticus to them. <laughs> um, we thought this should also include maybe tattoos, markings, and uh, got some verses here that uh, that we can look up. And you might have already heard these. They might have already been preached. Um, but take a look at, somebody read the verse in Leviticus, because even though the person said other than Leviticus, uh, we need to have a baseline. So let's read Leviticus. Who's got Leviticus 19, 27, and 28? Right here in the front. What about First Timothy 2, 9 and 10? Okay, so the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy and his church, and he's describing how, um, how women should appear, uh, that they should be modest, that they shouldn't have broidered hair. So it's not a braid. It's actually in the old days they would take gold thread and weave it into their hair as they braided it. And so you would have gold threads woven through your hair. What about First uh, Peter right here? 
So now the, Paul was talking to Timothy about the church as a whole. Peter is, is writing to wives and being a little more specific about wives. Uh, it is interesting on some level that, that both apostles, both Paul and Peter, are talking to women and not men. So men, you get off scot-free here. You can do whatever you want uh, because none of this applies to you. It only applies to women, right? We'll, we'll cover that a little bit too. They're allowed to have tattoos and piercings and bride. Exactly. They're allowed to put gold in their hair. <laughs> Wouldn't work for me. <laughs> um, and I'm making a little joke of it. Um, I think there there is something to be said about the fact that uh, that Paul and Peter focus more on women. Um, women might have more of a tendency to, to be worried about how they look. And if I look around this room... I would say that's probably accurate <laughs> because girls, you look good. Guys, you look like slackers <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> not all of you, not all of you, but there's a lot of you <laughs> that do. So that says something about the way we think about ourselves. Um, you know, guys, as a global statement, are more focused on achieving. Uh, they're going to be more focused on winning the race, beating up somebody, being the strongest, being the best. Uh, women, it seems like the way God has made you, you have a little bit more of a focus on the way you look and the way people perceive you. Um, that's the truth. That doesn't mean, just listen to me, everybody, guys too, that doesn't mean that this just applies to women. Let's talk about the principle. Forget the details about can I do a tattoo? What if the tattoo is not visible? Then nobody sees it. What if I have a piercing, but the piercing is on my navel and I never expose my navel, right? So then, then, it, then it doesn't matter, right? Then, then I can do all this. Um, so if we want to get legalistic about it and get into every little nook and cranny and detail, we miss the point of what God expects of us. This whole point is based on you wanting to be a Christian and wanting to serve God, okay? This whole principle is based on that. Here's the point of this. If you aren't a Christian, A, you've got bigger things to worry about, uh, like going to hell. Uh, B, if you don't want to be a Christian, you still got bigger things to worry about, like going to hell. Uh, so we're going to go to C, that I'm assuming that you want to follow God with what we're about to talk about. And the problem that we all have is we're this little girl. The problem is, guys, you're going to look great in a tutu. <laughs> the problem is, is that, that we're all on stage and that we all have a desire to have people like us, look at us, and say good things about us. That's the, that's the problem. That's the conflict that we have. Okay, so let's add that to that, okay? <laughs> that's the problem that we have is that we all want to express ourselves. What's the problem with a Christian who has self-expression? What's the problem with a Christian who has self-expression? Is self-expression bad for a Christian or good for a Christian? Or does that not matter? Why? Because it's prideful and selfish and you're putting yourself before God. Perfect. A Christian is not supposed to have self-expression. What kind of expression are they supposed to have? 
God expression. <laughs> right? We're supposed to be expressing God, not ourselves. And so whether you're hiding it, whether you're putting socks over your nail polish when you go to church, whether, regardless of what you're doing, you're expressing yourself. It's, about, it's, it's this notion of pride. It's this notion of wanting to show myself. And God wants us to show him. Does that make sense? That's, that's the principle that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter were talking about. And so when we go to school, when we go to church, when we go with friends, when we're in a group, our idea, our goal is to stick out for the better. On some level, we want people to notice us. What God wants is for people to notice him. Does that make sense? You follow that? Everyone? This makes this broadens the principle. So if I'm dressed like a slacker and I'm legs up, man, I've got, you know, ripped jeans, I'm coming to church this way, guess what? I'm still expressing myself. I had that problem. I'm like, well, okay, I'm not going to be, I'm not dressing up. I'm not going to highlight myself. I was this young guy, not, not a Christian, and this old sister in church dragged me, brought me over, and she scolded the living daylights out of me. And at first I was angry, and then the more I thought about it, the more I realized that she was right. I was trying to draw attention to myself. And we're not supposed to draw attention to ourselves. We're supposed to draw attention to God. So get over the nail polish, get over the piercings, get over the tattoos, get over the clothes and looking good, get over the short skirts. I love the one. Um, okay. <laughs> you can say this to people. I don't care. <laughs> okay. I love the fact that we have sisters that wear really long skirts because they're supposed to have long skirts, but they are so tight to their body that you can read everything. Guess what I'm showing off? We tell them, okay, you're supposed to wear skirts that are below the knee, right? Don't wear short skirts. So, okay, I won't wear a short skirt. I'll wear one down to my ankles. But it'll be so form-fitting, it won't leave anything to imagination. It's supposed to be about God. It's not supposed to be about us. And if we want to follow God, let's follow God. And let's not, let's not have it be about us. Okay, big word. Fraternization. I challenge you to, to look for it in the Bible. You're not going to find it. <laughs> it doesn't show up in the Bible. <laughs> you won't find it. And so we laugh. Um, how many of you have heard of this word? If you were listening to the sermon last night, you heard it. What does it mean? What does it mean? Anybody know? To worship with other people and to go to other churches. Is that bad? To worship with other people? Aren't we worshiping together last night? <laughs> other denominations. What's that? Shh. Quiet. Let's be respectful. Louder, please. Jesus said that so we could get more followers. We didn't. 
Okay. So should we fraternize? Our church says we shouldn't. But this word isn't in the Bible. Jesus never said don't fraternize. Jesus ate with sinners. Why shouldn't we fraternize? To give you the definition, here's a definition from a Webster's. Um, to associate or mingle as brothers. To associate on close terms with members of a hostile group. So if I go to another church, am I with a hostile group? Yeah? Okay. Shh. Okay. How many, that's a good answer. How many of you think that, uh, that if, if you hang out with friends who are Christians that, or go to a friend's church who's a Christian but doesn't belong to our church, just goes to a different church, some different denomination, how many of you think you'd get confused by what they teach? Wow, really? That's good. I didn't think so. I thought that was a bunch of baloney. Couldn't you get confused in school? That's a good question. I, just to answer my own question here real quick, um, I thought it was a bunch of baloney until people really close to me, all of a sudden, I watched them change their beliefs. I watched them leave church, and all of a sudden, the beliefs, the things that they'd been taught growing up, the things that you know my uncle went to jail for in Yugoslavia uh, for not bearing arms, all of a sudden just went out the window. And beliefs changed based on who they hung out with. And it kind of freaked me out, I'll be honest. It freaked me out because... I realize that, that people do believe different things. And then in some cases, they could be false teachings and that we can get distracted, even though, especially if you're a guy, you might think this isn't going to happen to me. I know what I believe. I'm strong in what I believe. And that's it. So it's not saying that we can't have friends. That, are, that I, you know, I know people that have friends that are Hindus, um, that are Muslims. But fraternizing is where we start to spend a lot of time actively working together for the same purpose. Okay? That's fraternizing. Um, let me ask you this question first. Oh, go ahead. You can go to the washroom. It's a good thing I didn't make you hold that one. Hold that thought, right? <laughs> um, let me ask you this question. Anybody know somebody who's married? Okay. Duh. Duh. Do you think... It would be okay for the husband, while he's married, to start dating somebody else? No. Why not? What about the wife? Would it be okay for the wife to start dating? Not her husband, but somebody else. No. Why not? Wait. Because they're married? And it's illegal. Well, I don't know. These days, a lot of people are doing it. <laughs> right off the bat, we say, duh, this is an obvious thing. It's a dumb, it's a gimme. This isn't something I would do. Fraternizing, on some level, is kind of like doing that. If I've made the choice that I'm going to be part of this church and I'm going to work in this church and I'm going to make this church better, in a way, that's kind of like a marriage. We've committed. We've both made mutual commitments that we're going to work together to make this relationship better, to make this our home together better, right? That's what the kind of on a level that's what marriage is on some level that's what 
becoming a member of a church is. That I'm going to make this better. And so if I start dating on the side, <laughs> am I making things better? Now maybe on the surface you're going to say, but it's, I'm not going to really hurt anybody. It's not like I have a wife that's going to get hurt by me doing this. But what do you suppose is going to happen if, man, things just get a little tough in a marriage relationship between the husband and wife? Things aren't so, going so good. And man, that husband was dating on the side. What do you think would happen? What's that? Why? Okay. What if he didn't, well, if he cheated, he was just dating. He didn't do anything other than date. <laughs> okay, still cheating. He was unfaithful. If things get bad, why would it be easier? Well, what, you know, if things get bad in the house, man, all of a sudden it becomes a lot, that, boy, man, that, that time I spent with that woman, that was, that was really good. This is really hard. Where would I rather be? In church, things get hard sometimes. You might not know it yet. The church is made up of people. People aren't perfect. Guess what happens? <laughs> Things get hard, right? You ever have you, you know it. You're old enough to have experienced it with friends and with family. Things get hard sometimes in church. If I've been dating other churches, guess what becomes easy to do? I'm gonna church hop. Because it was really good over there. Now the problem with that is, probably when I visited that church, it was for an event. What happens when you have an event at church? What is it? Sing, singing's good? Think everybody shows up to the event? Do we pick our best preachers for the event? Right? If I, if I go for an event, everything is set up to be perfect. As good as we can make it. We do it too. So guess what I'm seeing when I go? I'm seeing that church at its best. Do you think that church has problems too? Do I realize, I mean, when I'm just thinking about how good it was there, am I thinking about the fact that that church has problems? No. We're doing two things when we fraternize, guys, girls. We're potentially seriously affecting our own spiritual growth. Two, we're really dumbing down the ability of our church to grow and to be strong and to be better. And we're really setting ourselves up to start church hopping down the road. Okay? Um, let's read those verses really quick. Second Peter 2, 1 through 3. Who's got it? Let's see. Oh, let's go over here. Cause... Loud, please. Pernicious. Thank you. And there were false prophets and there are false teachers. That's what Peter is saying um, to the, the churches that he was writing to, saying, 
It's happening. It's among you. Guess what? It's among us too. And we try really hard to make sure it doesn't happen in our church. It can even happen in within our church. But it's definitely, as you heard last night, all over the place outside the church. And so he's warning them to be careful. I'm warning you to be careful. All right? Hebrews 3.13. Loud. Okay. The writer... We think it's Apostle Paul is, is exhorting us, encouraging us to exhort one another daily. What does that mean? Quick. I want to show you that last minute's of video. We're almost out of time. What's that mean? To exhort one another daily. I can't hear you. Who said it? Nobody. Encourage everybody, each other every day. What do you have to do to be able to encourage Everybody, somebody every day. What? No, unfortunately that one doesn't work in this case. <laughs> nice try though. <laughs> what do you, there's kind of an, ob, he said read. There has to, it's an obvious solution. What do you have to do to be able to encourage somebody every day? It's a duh. Say good things. Don't you have to be with them? You have to spend time with them. It's kind of like the obvious. To be able to encourage you, I have to be with you. If I'm not with you, I can't encourage you. You have a phone, but you've got to be thinking about them. Right? If I'm not thinking about you, I'm too busy hanging out with somebody else, I'm not encouraging you. Um, let's look at the... We have some more questions that were asked that we're not going to get to. If you want to, to know the answers... Find Mike. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can find me too. How do I keep my conviction when school comes again? We've got some, a great answer for that. We've kind of already started to answer that. How about witnessing? Um, how do I balance everything out? This guy is like basically, man, he's almost ready to drown. Uh, and maybe not, but it kind of looks like it. Just pretend. How do I balance out everything? How do I have time to, be, to do the physical and the spiritual? And um, we can talk to you about that one too. Um, just in the last minute here,